In World War I, there was a notorious German fighter pilot named Baron von Richthofen. He was dubbed the Red Baron by Allied forces because by 1918, he had 80 kills to his credit, which was more than any pilot on either side of the war. Now, one day, as he was patrolling the skies over the Somme River in France, he was looking for observation planes. When he spotted one, he followed it a little too far into Allied territory. Before he knew it, he had gone two miles into Allied territory, and he was flying very low. But he was doing it in search of his 81st kill. Uh, For such an experienced pilot, this was a rookie mistake because it gave opportunity for a Canadian Royal Air Force pilot to catch up with him and begin firing on him around about the same time that he was flying over an Australian machine gun battery. Well, they began firing on him as well, and between the two, well, they shot him down. And the infamous Red Baron Well, he never got his 81st kill. Uh, He had pursued that Allied plane for too long and for too far and too low to the ground. The same can be said about sin. Before you know it, it will hold you captive for too long. It will take you too far and it will bring you much lower than you ever could have imagined. Let me show you how on this episode of By the Verse. Thank you for joining me on this episode of By the Verse. This podcast is all about God's Word. I know I say that all the time, but we really just try to get right down to business and focus in on God's Word. So thank you for hanging with me through this journey that we're on through the book of Judges. Well, this is our third and final episode on the life of Samson. Previously, we had seen that he had uh, been promised... uh, to a barren woman, a barren mom, basically. His birth was miraculous. Uh, It was prophesied that he would be a Nazarite, uh, which was a special code of living. He was going to be devoted to God. But in his adult years, we began to see that he had a streak in him. He had a side to him uh, where he was drawn to some things that would pull him away from his vow, things that were very contradictory Now, as we hop into the last two chapters, we're not going to read all of those two chapters, uh, but we are going to see that some of those early attitudes that we saw a few chapters ago, well, they're going to grow up into full-blown disaster. Well, let's start by reading chapter 15, verse 1. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat, and he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber but her father would not allow him to go in. After her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines, when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught thirty foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire 
to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Now, as we finished our last episode, we saw that Samson's wife was given to a Philistine companion at the end of the uh, week-long wedding celebration uh, because he went home. I mean, he storms home after he kills the 30 Philistines to pay back his debt of the clothes, okay? So here he is. He's decided, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to get to my wife and I'm going to go into her chamber. I mean, this is a sexual uh, reference. He wants to go and be with his wife. Uh, and he decides uh, a young goat apparently is a good makeup gift. Now, that would not fly uh, today whatsoever. I mean, he doesn't go with flowers. He goes with a goat, okay? Um, no apology, just a goat, all right? Well, of course, his father-in-law said, listen, um, I really thought you hated her because you kind of ran out on her. I mean, I just figured you were unhappy with her and that you didn't want to her anymore because, I mean, who in their right mind would celebrate for seven days and then just storm off and leave? I mean, he went home to his parents and we have no indication of how long a period of time this was. It just says after some days. So it could have been weeks. It could have been uh, months. We're really not entirely sure. Uh, so, of course, Samson is angry at this. And so he goes off and he has this plan of what he's going to do. Now, it is, it is really important to note that we are not dealing with a mature person in Samson. What we're dealing with is a grown boy. Uh, we're dealing with a, a man's body, uh, but a little boy's mind. Okay. Because Samson does not make decisions in the way that a grown, mature man would. Uh, he is a man, and he is physically mature, uh, but he has the emotional intelligence of a five-year-old here. So he goes on a, a pouting uh, spree, and he decides that uh, while this wheat grain uh, harvest, it's, it's ripe, it's ready, okay? They've already been uh, gathering it. So this is a really important time. He decides he's going to gather 300 foxes. Now, the word foxes here could also mean jackals. And that's kind of important uh, because jackals, they go in bigger packs than foxes. I mean, kind of challenging uh, to gather 300 of any uh, animal. But again, it doesn't tell us how long it took him to do it. Um, maybe this took quite a while. We don't know. Uh, but he decides to basically use them to set fire uh, to all of their harvest. This was a huge economic blow to this community. So, of course, the Philistines are angry and they want to know who did this. They figure that it's Samson. And so they burn uh, the father-in-law and his wife. Now, interestingly enough, the reason uh, that the wife had convinced Samson to tell her the riddle uh, was because 
they had already threatened to burn her with fire. And yet she gets the same fate that she was trying to avoid. Now, for Samson's uh, part, what he does is interesting. Um, He's angry with his father-in-law and his wife so much that uh, he burns up their grain and all the community's grain. But then when the community comes against them and kills them, uh, Samson decides he's going to be avenged, right? So uh, this, this wife that he basically left at the altar uh, and embarrassed, really, um, he's going to be avenged because the community has uh, come against him. Again, th- this, is a, this is a very petty, um, small-minded, selfish uh, young man. All right, now if we go all the way back though to the very beginning of his story, it was prophesied that he would be, uh, that he would begin to deliver his people from the Philistines. Um, it's hard to save uh, somebody who is in love with the very thing that's destroying them. Right? When, when somebody is so in love with what's clearly destroying their life, everybody else can see it, but they can't see it. Right, because they're in love with it. How many young couples, or, or older couples for that matter, have you seen that had no business ever being together? They were not right for each other, but they were in love. And despite all reason, despite everybody trying to help them see that this is not going to end well, it really takes their uh, becoming a, a division between the two. It takes things getting really, really bad between them before you're able to finally separate them. Well, that's what it's like for Israel and the Philistines. Israel seems to be completely content under the rule of the Philistines. Uh, They're not unhappy. They've made peace with it. They're comfortable with it. But what God wants is for his people to be free. And so he's going to use the selfishness, the the pettiness, the vengefulness of Samson to begin driving a wedge, begin irritating uh, these two parties so that God can ultimately divorce them. Well, Samson decides to retaliate by basically killing these people. He struck them, it says, hip and thigh, which is just a saying that means it was brutal, man. He went like crazy. He went berserk, basically, is how we would uh, say it in our uh, time, okay? Uh, That's how brutal this, this fight was. And then he goes off to a lonely place in the cleft of the rock. Let's pick it up in verse nine. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do him as he did us. Then 3000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. So basically what happens here is the the Philistines, they they just go on a raid. They go on a rampage. They're punishing the people of Judah because they're going to punish them until they give up Samson. And the people of Judah do it. I mean, can you imagine this? 
that 3,000 men go out to find Samson so that they can deliver him over to the enemy when they could have went out to find Samson and say, hey, listen, God's hand is clearly uh, upon you. We will follow you. Just lead us into battle. We'll fight for our country. We'll fight for our freedom. We will follow God's deliverer all the way. No, instead they want to tie up God's uh, deliverer. This is how comfortable they were in their Uh, this arrangement of sin, basically, that they have, okay? So they bind him up after Samson basically gets them to agree that they weren't going to, uh, that they weren't going to hurt him. They were just going to deliver him over to the Philistines. So when they deliver him, this is what it says in verse uh, 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. And Samson said with the jawbone of a donkey heaps Upon heaps with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone of his hand, and the place was called Ramoth Lehi. Okay, so uh, here's a young man uh, who's uh, had a pretty interesting life up to this point. Okay, we've seen him act out before. Uh, you know, we saw him kill the lion and then meet back up with his parents, didn't tell him about it. Uh, we see him scrape out the honey, uh, meet back up with his parents, uh, don't tell him uh, what happened. Uh, we saw the fiasco at the wedding, and then he ends up killing 30 men uh, to pay off his debt. Well, then he goes back to his parents. Each time uh, something has happened, he's gone back to his parents. This time is different. Uh, this time he goes Uh, to the cleft of a rock, which nobody makes their home there. So this is a lonely place, okay? He goes off and and he's lonely there. Now, maybe he was sulking, okay? But I think this is just a a statement of his isolation. He's isolated from his people. He's isolated from anything that looks like real fellowship, real relationship, real family. And so, of course, uh, you know, the Philistines who are on this rampage, uh, they go, they get, the Jews to agree to go and get him. They get him and bring him. And then Samson, man, again, he picks up a dead thing. He picks up a jawbone and he kills a thousand men. This is super human. This guy is amazing in what he can do. And afterward, we see his wordsmithing, you know, heaps upon heaps, yada, 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 kind of like his riddle, his riddle earlier. You know, he's a bit of a wordsmith. He's not an unintelligent man. He's just extremely emotionally unintelligent. And so the name of this place, Ramoth Lehi, it basically means Jawbone Hill which, listen, I don't care what you think about uh, Samson or this story or whatever, Jawbone Hill is a legit name, okay? I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. All right, we'll pick it up in verse 18. 
And he was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi and water came out from it and he drank, his spirit revived or returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called in Hakor, it is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Now, this is important because it really is the first time we see Samson do anything spiritual or remotely spiritual. It's the first time we see him pray. Uh, it's, it's not the last time he will pray one more time, but it is the first time uh, that we see him do this. Now, he has just accomplished something that is superhuman. I mean, he killed a thousand men with a jawbone of an animal. Now, it was because of the spirit of the Lord had rushed upon him. Now, we know that. And yet God allowed him to be physically thirsty and exhausted afterward, probably as a reminder that Samson really was a mortal man. It was a reminder of his need. Sometimes when things are going well and when God has used us greatly, when God has blessed us greatly and the spirit of the Lord is upon us, God will allow things that remind us, hey, you still need me. It's not negative. Okay, your need for God is not negative. Your need for God's provision is not a negative thing. Sometimes God blesses you mightily and his spirit is upon you greatly. He uses you, but he allows you to be thirsty in an area of your life, just as a reminder that you are not all sufficient. You still need him. So for the first time, Samson prays and he prays a prayer that's very Samson-like because it's a mixed bag and that's what you get with this guy. I mean, on the first part of it, it seems like he's acknowledging God. God has given him this victory and he's God's servant, okay? He hasn't served God in any way that we can tell, uh, you know, intentionally up to this point, but that's how he sees himself uh, here. But then he asked God to meet his Need And it's interesting that many times people will pray uh, passionate prayers, not because they love God, not because they have deep relationship with him, but simply because they have an immediate need that has to be met. Well, of course, God is merciful and compassionate and he causes water to come out of a rock. And he has done that several times in the history of Israel. And then the writer tells us that Samson judged Israel for 20 years. And that doesn't mean it was 20 years from that day. It was just all of it was 20 years. So we don't know at which point this fell in the the 20 years. Okay. Well, let's uh, head on to chapter 16, uh, starting at verse 1. Now, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute. Again, saw. See the emphasis on his eye here, okay? There he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts. And he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them on to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. All right, this is incredible. 
just after we are told that Samson is God's judge over the people for 20 years. I mean, what an incredible statement about his life that he judges God's people for 20 years. In the very next breath, Samson goes down to Gaza, which is the capital city of the Philistines. And he sleeps with a prostitute there. Now, this is God's Nazarite, okay? God's judge, God's deliverer, okay? He goes deep into the heart of enemy territory, not to deliver God's people, but to sleep with the enemy. And even if you've uh, been reading the book of Judges at this point, and you've seen a number of like eye-opening things, like unexpected things, I mean, this one really takes the cake. You don't really see this coming. You don't think it will go that far. But what we see is that way back in Samson's adult life, we find some attitudes that, you know, they, they sprang up there, but then they grew up. He was disrespectful to his parents' authority because he wouldn't listen to them about the Philistine wife he wanted to take. He was disrespectful to God's authority because he disrespected the authority that God put over him. And yes, that is how authority works. So when people say, oh, I only have to listen to God, I don't have to listen to you. And clearly that person is is in a role of authority over them, whether it's a parent, a boss, a pastor, you know, whatever type of leader, hey, you need to mark that person, okay? Because that is a person who does not understand uh, how authority works from God. It comes from God, but it always works through people, okay? Uh, But not only does he he have no respect for authority, but he has no respect for his Nazarite uh, vow, really. I mean, he has no fear of spiritual things, no, no fear of God. I mean, this is a guy who's constantly coming close to doing all the things he never should do and crossing those lines. I mean, he throws a drinking feast, uh, you know, for seven days for, for the wedding, whether he actually drank any alcohol or not. He's not really supposed to have anything to do with it. Uh, he touches the carcass of the lion just so he could have the honey. I mean, this is someone who has no reverence for spiritual things. Mark a person who has no holy fear that there's nothing they're not willing to joke about, that there's nowhere they won't go. If they don't respect the institutions of our faith, then I can tell you they're going to head down a situation where those little attitudes are going to grow up into something far worse. We've seen Samson controlled really by the lust of his eye all the way up to this point. He saw, he saw, he saw the woman uh, that he wanted to marry. He saw the honey. He saw this prostitute. He's out of control now. It's full blown. I mean, this, this has gone haywire. Okay, mark a person who has no self-control because eventually their unwillingness to discipline themselves will grow up into something far worse. Who could have ever imagined that God's judge would go deep into the heart of enemy territory, not to liberate God's people, but to sleep with a prostitute? That is the thing about sin. It is never satisfied. It will always make you chase it longer than you ever thought. It will always take you much further than you ever intended to go. And ultimately, it will bring you much lower than you ever thought you would be. 
So Samson sleeps with this woman, and of course, the Philistines find out he's there. They wait to ambush him, and then he does something amazing. He gets up in the middle of the night. He goes out to the gates of the city. He picks up the door uh, the gate of the city with uh, the door with the post of it. Okay, these were huge wooden beams that were probably wrapped in metal so that they couldn't be burned easily. Okay, and he just picks it up out of the ground, throws it on his shoulder, and runs up a hill with it. Now that's some serious Iron Man stuff right there. Okay, but here's the thing about this guy: he's out of control, and he thinks that his strength will always save him. Well, I mean, because it always does, right? I mean, he thinks his strength will always save him. Strength is deceiving. Just because you're strong in one area doesn't mean that you are not exceptionally weak in another. That's what humility actually is. A humble person can acknowledge their strength in one area, Well, and then they can also acknowledge their weakness in another. People who are arrogant think that their strength will cover over all their weaknesses. In fact, their strength is so strong that they don't have very many weaknesses of consequence at all. Well, in the blinding light of our own arrogance, we stumble toward destruction. Verse 4 in chapter 16 After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and we will will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Now, Samson obviously hasn't learned his lesson. You would think after the incident with the prostitute and the, and the guys laying in wait for him, it would be obvious to him, bro, these Philistine women are dangerous. You, you can't be fooling around uh, over there. They are out to get you, but he's out of control. He can't stop himself. So he finds himself not only with another woman, but this time he genuinely falls in love with this woman. Among the many problems with this is that this woman, Delilah, well, she's in love with money because the lords of the Philistines, they offer her 1,100 pieces of silver each. Well, there were five lords of the Philistines. So this is 5,500 pieces of silver. That's 55 times the average annual wage at the time. Here in America, the average annual wage is somewhere around just a little bit less than $52,000 a year. So that would be like somebody offering you over $28 million. Okay, this is an obscene amount of money for her to figure out how to learn his secret because the Philistines figured he's, he's got some kind of amulet, like he's got some kind of magic potion, like he's got some kind of magical something that allows him to do these superhuman feats of strength. This is why some people think that maybe he was not a physically imposing man. Maybe there was nothing about him uh, that made him look like he was very strong. I don't think that the story requires us to think that way uh, because even if he looked like uh, Mr. Universe, uh, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his heyday, that still wouldn't explain just how 
he was able to do all the things he was able to do. So they knew something else was up and they paid this woman named Delilah, whose name sounds like the night, okay, in the original language, right? So Samson, he's in bed with the night. I mean, he is, this is the darkest part of his life spiritually, okay? It may not be the darkest part or the lowest part of his life, that's still yet to come, but spiritually, this is the darkest part of his life. Now, we're not going to read the rest of the story. You're very familiar with it. Four times she asks him this. He gives a different story each time. And, and you would think that after the first time, he would say, this woman, she, she's not my friend. <laughs> you know, she doesn't really like me. Certainly after the second time. Uh, but four times she asks, and on the fourth time, he finally tells her, uh, the truth. Listen, the strongest uh, person is not always the smartest person. And sometimes even the smartest people out there do the dumbest things. And this, well, this is uh, what sin will do to you. It will make a smart person do dumb things. It would make a gifted, a strong person do some pretty weak, pathetic things. And that's the reality of this. So he finally tells her, well, it's my hair. I'm a Nazarite. He believes it's his hair. Now, we know that it's really not his hair because after his hair is shaved, it's only after the Lord leaves him that he just doesn't have the strength. See, in his mind, the hair is the outward sign of his vow. There's nothing inward in his mind. We know it's inward because the spirit of the Lord has been rushing upon him. But in his mind, it's the outward sign of his vow, which is his hair. But in reality, it's really been the Lord the whole time that's been the source of his great strength. So, of course, they capture him. They gouge out his eyes. They make him grind at a mill in the same way that you would have tied an ox to uh, this large turning stone uh, to grind the, the grain. Okay, So maybe he was at least strong enough to do that. Uh, and maybe there were multiple people doing it along uh, with him, okay? Uh, so this guy, I mean, he's blind, he's imprisoned, he's completely embarrassed, and then they take it a step further. They bring him out in the temple of Dagon because that's really the setting uh, of this last scene of his life is the temple of Dagon. That's their God. He was a fish-type God. Uh, he was the God of the Philistines who were actually Mediterranean people who had come on boats and they had settled along the, the coast uh, there. And so the scene really is Yahweh against Dagon. They're celebrating that Dagon has given them uh, the victory. But in reality, Yahweh is about to strike a final blow. Let's pick it up in verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Estuel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. All right. 
So here it is. Uh, He gives his final prayer. And this one seems very repentant. It seems very, very genuine and heartfelt. Still a little mixed because he throws in, wants, wants to be avenged because of his eyes. But I think this is very heartfelt prayer on his behalf. And I think this is really why he earns his way into, or he, he gets his way, not earns it, but he, he gets to be in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 12, because he is mentioned there. I don't think it has to do with anything he had done up to that point. Everything he had done up to that point had been vengeful. It had just been uh, petty and childish. But here, well, he sacrificed his own life too in order to strike this blow against the Philistines because true leadership requires sacrifice. And up to this point, this man has sacrificed nothing. Everything he saw that he wanted, he went after it. This is the first time Samson has made a genuine sacrifice. He has called out to Yahweh, his God, and you know the Lord grants his request and gives him strength, and he strikes a final blow. Now, it says his family came and got him, so I think we can suppose that uh, Manoah and his mother maybe had other children after him, because it says here um, they had uh, he, his brothers came to get him. And so his father was probably already passed already because otherwise it wouldn't refer to the tomb of uh, Manoah, his father. So he'd probably already passed by this point. So what's the takeaway here? The power of the spirit and the fruit of the spirit are not the same thing. We should all endeavor to be used by God, but we should also even more passionately endeavor to grow in the things of God. Gifting without growing is a recipe for disaster. Growing your gift, but also grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That happens through faithful relationship with Him. Well, thank you so much for hanging in there with me and making it through. We're going to begin to finish out the rest of this book on our next episode of By the Verse.